At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. Um, yeah, so this morning, I want to encourage you to take your Bible electronic device and, and turn with me to Psalm 33. Psalm 33. If you're not familiar with the Bible, basically, you can take the Bible and kind of open it kind of in the middle, and you'll hopefully find yourself in Psalm, the book of Psalms. If not, uh, if you're in Isaiah, go to the left a little bit, and then you'll get back to, to the book of Psalms. We're in Psalm 33 today. And as you're turning there, I want to, I don't know if many of you have done much uh, traveling maybe to Europe or other places, but it wasn't too long ago that I learned about one of the mountain ranges in Switzerland. It was fascinating because <clears throat> there's a specific mountain, and I don't know the name of the mountains, probably in the Alps somewhere, but um, there's a, a mountain that at the very, very top of the mountain, as, as the mountain begins to like crest and, and go to, to the north or to the south, we see that uh, there, when the wintertime, when there's snow on top of it, and then in the spring, when that snow begins to melt, it's very interesting to see the, the way that that water travels, right? If it, if it happens to fall down the north side of that mountain, it will eventually find its way into the Rhine River, and it will eventually find its way into the frigid Arctic uh, or Atlantic Ocean. But if it, the water, as it melts, begins to fall on the south side of the mountain, it will move on down into the Rhone River and eventually find itself into the warmer Mediterranean Sea. And it's interesting because how the water falls, which way it falls, determines its destination. So one water droplet, if it happens to go one way, completely different direction. If it happens to fall the other way, it goes a completely different direction. And... I bring that up because I think and I really feel like our culture and where we are currently right now, we're standing on the top of the Swiss Alps. And we need to determine which way we're going to go. There are questions that stand before us as people, as humans that are alive on the planet right now, that are living in real time, doing real life. We have to make a decision and how we're going to respond to uh, pressures from our cultures that are going to determine which way we fall. Either we're going to fall on the north side and end up in the frigid uh, Atlantic Ocean, or we're going to fall on the south side and we're going to end up in the Mediterranean. Now, I don't know which way you prefer to go. Maybe you like it cold, maybe you like it hot. Um, but I, I'll, I'll tell you, when it comes to eternity and we look at it, there, there will be some that will be enjoying the rest of God for eternity, and then there will be some that will be enduring the wrath of God for eternity. And the issue that we're looking at today that is, that is this moment in time for us is we must determine how we view truth. Truth is on the line. In our culture, in our day, in our time, truth is the, the, the fundamental question that we need to answer. Either truth 
is relative, meaning that there is no universal standard from what is right and wrong, or truth is subjective. If truth is subjective, that means that it's based on my feelings. So if truth is relative or truth is subjective, then we're going to fall on one side of the mountain and it's gonna leave us in one desperate state. But if truth is objective, if truth has already been determined, if truth has already been defined, and as humans, our responsibility or our opportunity is to discover truth and to know truth and to live truth, then we're gonna end up in a different way. So either there is truth or there isn't truth. And how we come out on the end of that will lead us in completely different directions. Last week, we started a new series entitled Essentials, Why Truth Matters. We've been utilizing the Apostle Creed, which was written in the second or third century, to help Christians understand the basic doctrines or the basic truths of the Christian faith. So what we're doing over the next several weeks is we're taking the statements of the Apostles' Creed and we are um, expounding upon them from the truth of the word so that we can understand what does it mean to be a Christian. If we're going to be a basic Christian, uh, no matter where you are in the world, these are the basic things that you need to believe. And so last week we took a look at the first part of the statement. This is, I believe in God. And what we looked at last week was the fact that the Christian faith Faith is founded on the truth that God exists and that God reveals himself through scripture. So our faith is based on the conviction that God himself said something about himself that we could not know on our own. Right? So God reveals himself to us so he shows us who he is so that we can know him in such a way that we could not know him on our own in that way. Right, we look at creation, we talked about this last week, we look at creation and we know that God exists, but we don't know how to know him. Right? Creation is not enough to, for us to, to find salvation in God. We must know what, who God is and what he has done through his revealed scriptures. We also lo- learned last week that our belief in God is an understanding that God, there's only one God that exists in three persons. We understand that to be the Trinity, where we see God expresses himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And today, we're going to continue looking at the the statement. The full statement that we're going to look at today is this. I believe in God, the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. So today, as we we look at this, we're pulling apart the the triune God and looking at his fatherhood, the, the God the Father, God the creator, God the maker of heaven and earth. And you may ask yourself the question, why, why is it that God reveals himself as father? In, in our day, why can't we refer to God as mother? Why does he have to be God the father? You see, in our day, there is a movement towards, even those that believe that there is a God, there's a movement towards neutering God. Making God some um, not male or female or, or not masculine, not feminine. We just want to make God some, some God that is there based on equality. And today I want us to understand for a moment that truth matters, but words matter. And according to God's word, the way we refer to God matters. The pronouns that we use to talk about God matters. 
We cannot talk about God as though uh, he, he is a she. We cannot talk about God as though he is Mother Earth or Mother Nature. Those, those are incompatible with the way that God has described himself and the way that God has revealed himself through Scripture. You see, the early church and early evangelists, whenever they took the gospel message to the pagan world, every time they came and began communicating about God, the one area that they had to communicate the most and, and define was the fact that God was Father. This idea of God being Father was controversial in the early church. It was even controversial at the day when Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus calls God Abba Father. That was so controversial to the Jewish people because the Jewish people had so revered the name of God, they saw that God was so distant from them to even mention his name would be crazy. And so you've got Jesus, this guy coming on the scene, and he's like, no, 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 he's not, he's, he's not God, a name that we can't mention. No, he is Abba, Father. And he even tells us, he said, when you pray, pray our Father who art in heaven. That was controversial. But it's so important that we understand why God reveals himself as God the Father you see, God the Father is also important in our understanding um, in, in the way that different pagan gods understood creation. You see, in many, many other of the surrounding cultures, they believed that, um, that there were God, but they believed that there, the deities that were out there, there was always a male deity and a female deity. And they believed that creation came as a result of these two deities coming together in, in, in a sexual way, and then uh, creation was birthed out of the, the, the female God, that creation came all the way from that. My, my challenge with that is we need to see God as father because him being father and not mother is important because when God says that he's father, that means he's distinct from creation. That means that he's different from creation. If, if, if creation is from uh, the, a, a female deity, right, then we understand that it comes from the womb of the woman, or the female deity, and in some way that creation then itself, because it comes from the woman, then has the ability to have some innate deity inside of it. Does that make sense? That's why it's very important, and we'll see in the word today, that, that creation comes from the words of God. It doesn't come from the womb of God. And we know that God himself is, is not making a statement about his gender, because God, as he revealed in scripture, is spirit. But he's using this word and this imagery, especially when Jesus comes on the scene, to help us understand that God as Father is not distant from us. That God as Father is not impersonal. But that God as Father is imminent and he's intimately connected to his people. It's so important that we understand him as that way. That he cannot be female, that he is not a woman but we think about God as Father because God himself redeems his children through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. So redemption isn't from some impersonal creator, but it's what the Father does for the children that he loves. So today as we look at this passage, I want us to begin looking in, in Psalm 33, and I want us to see as we jump into this passage, what should be our response to God? When we consider him as God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, how should we respond? Let's look in chapter 33, beginning in verse 1. 
He says, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befets the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp and ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. What should be our response? As we consider this God, this Father, this make, almighty maker of heaven and earth, our response should be the same as all creation. All creation was created to worship the creator. Right, you've heard me say this before. Right, in the summer night as you go out on your, on your back deck and you hear the crickets chirping, guess what they're doing? They're chirping a symphony to the creator. When you look up in the night sky and you see the stars twinkling in the night sky, those stars are giving praise and honor and glory to their maker. All of creation doesn't have the opportunity to choose whether or not they worship. They worship their creator. But you and I are made a little bit different. You and I have been given the choice of who and what we will worship. And it honors the Lord and it, 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 it blesses the Lord when he sees his created, you and I, worshiping him. So our response is to shout for joy to the Lord. We're to give thanks to him and we're to do it in creative ways. We're to do it in song. We're to do it in melody. We're to do it in our, our voices. We're to do it in our lives. Everything that we do should be to worship our Lord. And today, as we continue on in this text, what I want us to see is that God our Father gives us every reason to worship him. God our Father gives us every reason to worship him. And we're going to look at three ways specifically that God desires for us to worship him and reasons that we should worship him. So first, the first reason is that his power is seen in making all things by his word. Look at me in verse 4. He says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all of his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the seas, the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God's word is upright. God's word is faithful. God's word has the power to create. By his word, planets were formed. I can just imagine this. If God had a mouth, he doesn't because he's spirit. But imagine if he did have a mouth, if he did have a physical face, that as he spoke, like planets coming out of his mouth, he speaks things into existence, things that, things that were never there, in an instant come to being. Where there was no matter, where there was no light, where there was no time, none of that existed, and all of that came forth from the mouth of God. That should have us sit back in our seats and say, oh my. Can you make a planet come out of your mouth? Can you speak things into existence? No. No. But God can. 
Everything he speaks comes into being. Everything that he commands. And where does, it come, where does all of this come from? It comes from his steadfast love. God is a loving creator. Just like the artist that sits down with, the, with a, a clump of clay in front of him. And he begins, he or she begins to create it. And, and he's, they're doing it out of a sense of love. No artist sits down and says, dang, i got to make this stupid thing today. Dang, dang, dang. Artists don't do that. right? They do it as, somehow I want to make this clump of clay into something. Something that magnifies someone or something else. God made all of this, and all of this is a reflection of his power, his faithfulness, and his love. And our response should be a holy fear and awe. But you know what? We live in a world that is with so much distractions that many of the times now in our lives, this is how we live our life. This is the posture of our life. You know what's wrong with that posture? Is that posture is not a bowing in honor and reverence of the Lord. The bowing of our heads when we do that, it's because our lives are so consumed. They're so inward. We think that all there is in life is is the, the things that are going on in my little circle. And we keep our heads down. And we act like this is all there is. And we get so busy that we get blinded by the pace of life, the pollution of the sky and all these other things. We miss the opportunities to gaze into the night sky. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you went outside in the middle of the night and you got away from the light pollution and all of that and you just looked at the night sky and you for a moment were reminded how small you really are? Right, life is not about you. The world does not revolve around you. Parents, the world does not revolve around your kids. God is bigger. God is there. When we look at those, when we really spend time like looking at creation, we are reminded how insignificant we are as it relates to creation. But even as we, are, as we are insignificant, when we look at the span of creation, we are not insignificant to God. Because God did all of this for us so that we would see him and we would know that he exists and we would desire to worship him. So, some in the world would have us believe that we're here as the product of chance. Right? So that somehow nothing becomes something. That somehow the an org, unorganized world, an unorganized whatever, goes from unorganized to organized. Right? If you have teenagers and you go into their room, and you know after a couple weeks of busy schoolwork and everything, that, that room quickly becomes unorganized. There's no way that an unorganized room is going to be organized by itself. It doesn't happen. You can't just shut the door and be like, okay. I'm waiting for this to be organized. Keep peeking. Nope. Ten minutes later, keep peeking. Nope. Nope. It doesn't happen. Right? 
unorganized doesn't become organized. Something has to intercede to bring order to disorder. And that is God. So anyone that teaches, anyone that believes that somehow we're here as cosmic chance, that takes way more faith than believing in the revealed God of Scripture. That somehow unorganized things become organized and they become complex. It takes way more faith to believe that than to believe that God created all of this through his words and that should lead us to worship. Second, why we should worship God and no other. We should worship him because his wisdom is seen in carrying out his eternal plans. I love this in verse 10. He says, the Lord brings counsel to the nations or Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of all of them and observes all of their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army, a warrior not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might cannot rescue. I love, I love this. Have, have you ever like tried to tell God what you're gonna do? Have you ever done that? You're like, you know what, God? Thanks, but today I got this. I don't need you. How does that work out for you? Right? I, I, I can't tell you the number of times over and over in my life that the Lord has popped the bubble of my plans. And he's just like, you have no idea. We see here that God's counsel, God's wisdom is mightier than anything in the world. All of the planning, all of the plotting, all of the scheming of the world comes to nothing. It is the Lord who rules. It is the Lord who reigns. It is the Lord by his counsel, by his plans. He brings them always to fruition. Imagine just for a moment, like this is, this is how the world operates. And this is how you and I operate sometimes when we forget that God is on his throne. Imagine you go to the bottom of Niagara Falls and you see that, that more mighty water roaring over the side of those cliffs. And you, at the bottom of it, you're like, you know what? I'm going to make the direction of this water move. And so you're sitting there, you're thinking about it. You're like, I'm going to create some plans about it. And maybe if I, maybe, maybe if I just think hard enough on it, and, and, and maybe if I sleep on it, and then I, you know, I, I can make that water move. I can, I can redirect the path of Niagara Falls. Can you? You are impotent to that. You have no power. The power of that is too mighty for you, but you know who can? God. Right? And you may be right now in your life facing an overwhelming waterfall that is crashing down on your very soul. And you're underneath that waterfall and you're like, I'm going to stand here until this waterfall ends. And what's going to happen? Eventually you're going to be crushed. But instead, I encourage you, Look to, look to the Lord. 
Look to God and say, God, I'm in a desperate state. I'm about to be crushed. I'm about to be overwhelmed by this world, and I need you. That's when he moves in to save. The king cannot be saved by his great army. The warrior cannot be delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. None of those things can rescue you. None of those things. It's impossible for anything created to save the created. Right? No, no, no way. In, this is why they tell you, like, when you're on a plane, like, if, if something happens, we lose cabin pressure, you got to, like, put your mask over your mouth first before you put it over someone else's mouth. Like, you, we're all in a desperate state. We need someone else to step in and save us, and God has done it. No matter how evolved we become as as humanity, no matter how much advances we make in technology, we're still, we're still not able to save ourselves. But God has done everything to save us. God stepped in to save us. God became flesh in the person of Christ. Jesus stepped in, who was fully God and fully man, took on the infirmities of humanity for the sole purpose of dying for our sin. So Jesus goes to a cruel cross, and on the cross, the sin of the world was placed on him, the only perfect sacrifice And he endures the wrath of God. He takes our punishment and our pain. And Jesus dies, goes to a grave. God raises him from the dead. And now Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, now our sin is put to death. And death no longer has control over us if we place faith in the work of Jesus. That's something each one of us must do. Right? Believe in God. Jesus says, believe also in me. There there needs to be a time in which each one of us comes to the person of Christ and we decide for ourselves what we're going to do with Jesus. Right? You may be here and you may be like, yeah, I believe there's a God. I believe there's a God. I believe there's a creator God. Well, that's great. What are you doing with it? Right? That creator God revealed himself to you in the word of Jesus. Right? That's what we're going to take a look at next week. Right, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So with his words, God is always creating. God is always bringing life where there's death. God is always bringing hope where there is no hope. And his word is Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus today? Have you put your hope for salvation squarely in the person of Christ or are you still hoping in your plans you're like I got a plan I got a plan I'm, I'm gonna be somebody in this world I'm gonna do something in this world well you may do that but you've got no hope for salvation that, that may bring you wealth that that may bring you security but all of that's temporary For right now, you may have it and it's all temporal, but we don't live in the temporary. We are living for the eternal. 
So maybe you're here. I want to remind you, the Lord has a plan. The Lord has a plan for your life. And if we don't know which way we should go, we come to him and seek his counsel, seek his face, and say, Lord, I just don't know. And he's like, okay, I, I know you don't know. Even if, you, even if you try to, and this happened to me so many times, I, 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 I try to be a good father, right? Uh, th- th- I really desire to be a, a good father, and, and I'm an imperfect father, as my kids will attest to. But there are times that my kids come to me, and they're like, hey, Dad, can we do this? And I think about it. And being a good father, I want to, I want to honor their requests. And so what I do is I, I try to gather as much wisdom as I can. I'm like, okay, well, you want to do this? Well, who's going to be there? Where are you guys going? How are you going to get there? I try to get all of the wisdom that I possibly can. And then I have to make a decree, right? You can go or you cannot go, right? And then there's a, uh, you know, the <laughs> typical teen, those of you the teenagers, you know what that is. But I can't tell you the number of times that I've gotten as much wisdom as I possibly could about a decision and I make a decision and then there's information that I didn't know existed and I make a bad decision. Has that ever happened to you? With God, he knows all. He's all wise. He never makes mistakes. He has all the information at his disposal and know that he's moving all things to his end. And what is his end? Worship of himself. Why can he do that? Because he's the creator God. He gets to set the rules. right? He gets to say, You're the, I'm making you, the way I created you is so that you would worship me. That's your purpose. Your purpose isn't to make money. Your, your purpose isn't to be famous. Your purpose isn't, no, your purpose is to worship me. And he sets that because he is creator God. And he knows the plans that he has for our lives and the ways in which he has designed us to bring him the most glory. So he has all wisdom. Seek him when you do not know. Because not only does God have all plans, all of his plans, all the things that God is working towards is for his glory, but it's also for your benefit. When we seek and live for the glory of the Lord, it is for our benefit, even though it may be difficult, which is what we're gonna see next. Why we worship God and no other? We worship him because his love is seen in delivering those who hope in him. Look at me in verse 18. He says, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their souls from death and keep them alive in famine. Our souls wait for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Don't miss this. The eyes of, of the Lord are on those who fear him. Those that believe in Jesus Christ, the Lord sees with his eyes and knows you. Don't miss this. You are known by God. You are seen by God. The pain that you walk through, the difficulties that you're enduring right now, God sees it. And he knows what you're going through. 
He is not an absentee father who's sitting back saying, I wonder how they're doing. No, he sees the eyes of the Lord. Right, again, giving God human qualities, right? He's spirit again. We're giving him human qualities so that he sees you and he knows you. And he says that those that hope in his steadfast love, those he delivers. Get your eyes off of your situation and put them back on God. Quit focusing and just like, just like uh, walking on the water. When Peter was walking on the water, right, he sees in the middle of the storm, he sees Jesus walking on the water and Jesus is coming and he gets out of the boat and his eyes are fixed on Jesus and he's like, yeah, I'm coming to you, Jesus, I'm coming. And with every step, he's like, Jesus, you're awesome. Jesus, you're amazing. I can't believe you're sustaining me. And then he begins to look at the storm and looks at the waves and immediately when he takes his eyes off of Jesus, he begins to sink. And then what does Jesus do? He runs to him and extends his hand. And delivers him once again. God does this over and over and over and over again in our lives. Because we are fickle. Trying to run to and fro. Trying to find salvation. Trying to find safety. Trying to find security and all other things. And a lot of times when we come to the end of all those things. We find like well I guess I'll give Jesus a try. When that should be our first response. God knows the things you fear. God knows the difficulty you face. God knows the death that is all around us. And God is our help to pull us up. He is our shield and he is our protector. God's love for his children moves him to deliver. Don't miss that. There's a song uh, that's on the radio now that I really, really like. It, the title of the song is uh, Joy Comes in the, Joy in the Morning by Torrin Wells. And there's a line in that song that I love. He says, if it's not good, then he's not done. If it's not good, he's not done. God doesn't promise that you're going to walk through a life full of rainbows and butterflies. This is a life of suffering. This is a life where things are constantly decaying, things are constantly dying, things are constantly being broken, so we live in the broken. But God uses the broken in our lives to deliver us, and he promises, according to Romans chapter 8, he promises us that all things that he's doing is for our good. So if it's not good yet, he's not done He's working in your pain. He's working in your depression. He's working in the distractions. He's working. He's not done. And when he is done and it's good, he gets all the praise. And he gets all the glory. So let me ask you this question. Where are you on that mountaintop in Switzerland? As it relates to truth. Does truth exist? Or does truth not exist? Is God truth or is he not? I'll tell you, the way that you decide that will vastly determine the direction in life. And maybe you're like, help me understand that a little bit more. Let me give you these two questions to help you see. This one question. Does God exist for your sake or do you exist for his? How you answer that question determines which side of the mountain you will fall. 
if God exists for your sake, that's not going to lead you to him. But if we exist for his sake, that leads us to him. Because he has made us to worship him. And he has all the right to do that. If we think that God exists to serve our causes, our faith will be narcissistic and ultimately idolatrous. But God is a good father, the mighty, almighty maker of heaven and earth. And because of that, we can have access to this good, good father when we come to him through Jesus Christ. And do not forget, as we've seen in this passage today, that God's words create life. God's words create life. If you feel dead in your spirit, read the word of God. God's words always create life. You want to see your children grow? You want to see your children have their countenance lifted? Speak the words of God over them. Don't speak the words of the world over them. Don't don't tell them to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Tell them to put their face planted squarely at the foot of the cross. That's where they find peace. So God creates life with his words. God's wisdom guides our path. And his love delivers us. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're here and you've got some heavy burdens that you're carrying. As we sing this closing song, I want to remind you, we do have a prayer team that is over here. That If you just want to be prayed for, make your way over there. Or maybe you're just here and you're like, I, I just need to lay things down before the Lord. Well, we have these steps here. And sometimes we, we talk about this being like an altar. And there's nothing magical about these steps. But sometimes when we change our posture before the Lord, it helps us communicate to him in a different way. Not, not makes it more meaningful, but changing our posture says, okay, Lord, I really get it now. I really understand. So maybe you just need to come to the altar today and bow before God and be reminded once again. That if it's not good, he's not done. He's still working. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your words today. We thank you for your truth today. Father, I thank you that you have created us to worship you. And that that is a joy. Nothing better than to do what we were created to do. But Father, we are reminded today that you are worthy of our worship. Not only because of who you are, but because of what you've done. And so, Father, I know that there are some today in this place right now that are carrying heavy burdens. That some are are faced with a decision in their life that they need your wisdom. Some are walking through difficulties that they could barely just make it to church today. And so, Father, remind them today that you are working, that you are loving, that you are caring, and that you are ever-present. So, Father, in our frailty, in our weakness, God, we look to you because you are the source of strength. Give us strength today, Father, to use the mighty weapon that you've given us to fight back against the things of this world, and that weapon is worship. So, Father, as we sing, may this song be our resolve just to live a life of worship before you because you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.